Welcome to Toronto Today with Jim Taddy. Or is it Taddy Today with Toronto Today? Whatever. We'll get through it. Uh, welcome to the broadcast here until 1, uh, followed by the Scott MacArthur Show, hosted by Andy McNamara. And uh, we've got some stuff to cover. I just got a bunch of stuff. I was, of course, meeting with former co-workers and friends in the office and going over a whole pile of stuff. So I'm going to start with 30 years ago today, Wayne Gretzky gets traded. And, you know, the history lesson is this is obviously pre-social media. So how do these stories break? And it's it's an interesting process. Uh, it's sort of the same, but much slower with not as much volume. But what would happen is the night before, somebody would write a story or it would be on the wire service saying that this was possible. And once you read that, of course, immediate denial all over. Ah, oh, this can't happen. And you have to go way back. Uh, when I taught at Centennial and I teach at Mohawk now in Hamilton, I always tell people to do a, recon- a deconstruct, not a reconstruct, the deconstruct on the time. So remove all social media. Go back and understand that this man, a Canadian icon, our best hockey player of all time, anywhere in the world, had been married July 16th. This was like a royal wedding for all of us. This was coast-to-coast coverage, network television all over the place. July 16th, and yet on August 9th, weeks later, he's traded to the L.A. Kings. This is like almost blasphemous. This is How does this happen? You, you're absolutely stunned when you go back 30 years today. And so there was that story, I think it was Al Strachan, I might be wrong, in the Globe, and, and I'm pretty sure he wrote that, that this could happen, and most of us went, no, I don't think so. And in pre-social media, what you would do is go to sleep, you'd wake up, and the next morning you'd go, Oh, no, it's happening. And the stunning effect of that trade, if you were around and you saw the man cry when he said his goodbyes in Edmonton, I mean, what a day that was. That was an earth-shattering day. It was, uh, I guess, a growing pains day because then you realize, yep, anything can happen in professional sports. There were some, I guess if you go back, to it was sort of a, a simpler time. There were a lot of things that were sacred, things that would never happen. But once Gretzky got traded, you understood that anything could happen I remember that show that night. We do. I was doing Sportsline at the time. Mark Hebsher was my co-host. He was away. He was in Montreal on a trip uh, for for the show. Uh, it might have been Expos. Can't exactly remember what it was. So I was on by myself. I had Gus Bedalian, who was uh, Wayne Gretzky's original agent. And the story with Gus and Sportsline is back then. Very few people had satellite dishes. We had satellite dishes, of course, to bring in the highlights. And Gus would come in with us, Mark and I, and watch a lot of hockey games. In fact, Gus was in our building the night that Steve Eiserman skated into, I think he got his 50th in, in this game, and, and then skated right into the goalpost before they were, uh, I guess, flexible. With, the, with the, the plastic pegs they have now, These were the, the nets were fixed back then, and he blew up his knee. And uh, I'll never forget that night because Gus, uh, his jaw dropped and quickly left quietly. Uh, but anyway, Gus was in that night helping me out to, to explain the Gretzky story. We had sound from L.A., which I don't think anybody else had. And, of course, we had all the, the sound and, and the live stuff or, I guess, recorded live stuff of Wayne saying goodbye in Edmonton. And that was, that night, at least 50% of the show for obvious reasons. Then, of course, we dipped into the regular onslaught of baseball and whatever. But what a day that was because it was... Really, when you look at what's happened after, it's it's sort of a line in the sand in that, okay, this can happen, then all bets are off. Anything is possible. So that's the value of that day. Then, of course, we all know it. Gretz is uh, basically responsible for, you know, uh, I guess, uh, 
rejuvenating the LA Kings franchise. I'm sure the Ducks come out of that. I'm sure the Sharks come out of that, and California hockey, and and all kinds of stuff come out of it. But uh, that that was uh, you know one day where there was a financial problem with the Oilers, and it was solved by trading the best hockey player in the world, and it just everybody's jaw dropped. So that's 30 years ago today. Uh, a couple of other things that we were kicking around, uh, and this is you know sort of an ongoing story. I, I, when, I, when I worked here regularly, I used to do this all the time, and, and it sort of rem- made me remember of what we used to talk about. And, and you know, with Roundage going out, obviously uh, there's, there's still a, a local hope, but with the, uh, the Rogers Cup and, and also the RBC Canadian Open, which isn't that far in the rearview mirror, you go back and you go, so why is it that Canadians cannot win on home soil, and and if they did, what would the effect be? I mean, you know, what if Mike Weir had won that RBC Canadian Open? As stunning as his Masters victory was, and and you see it with the the depth of players in the PGA Tour, what he has contributed to Canadian golf. Boy, if he'd won that RBC Canadian Open, it would have been, I guess, maybe tenfold. Don't know exactly what the effect would have been, but I know it would have been good. But when you do the history lesson, and when you go back, you realize that uh, unless you're a historic uh, of historic reference points, you're going to go to Wikipedia and you're going to look up things and you go, who the heck is that? Because the flag, in some of these cases, is not our flag that we have now. It's the Red Ensign. So that's how far back. So that's pre-67. You have to go back at the, uh, and it was the Canadian Open, not the Rogers Cup originally. So uh, Robert Bedard, probably Robert Bedard, 1958, the last Canadian to win men's singles at what was called the Canadian Open. Faye Urban in 69 on the women's side. And, of course, we all know the RBC Canadian Open for golf. And it was Pat Fletcher in 1954. So when you look at Bedard and Fletcher, you see the red ensign. And like I say, unless you were around at the time, you go, what kind of a flag is that? So that's how far back you have to go. So if we could get that, and, and we have the depth. I mean, it's not like we don't have credible talent to pull this off. If we, if we could get a win there, wouldn't that just reverberate? I mean, talk about a national hero. I mean, a lot of these people have done very well elsewhere. This, you know, On the PGA Tour, people have won uh, various PGA Tour events and are applauded for that. But if we could just steal one here, then I don't know if steal is the right word. But think of the, the ripple effect that that would have. That would be phenomenal. Coming up on the broadcast uh, later on, Matthew Shinetti, our CFL and TSN sideline reporter. And uh, we will play the uh, Sound Wars, which I'll have to figure out what that is because uh, this is all new to me. We'll have uh, Ryan Bellingy from uh, golfnewsnet.com. And he's going to be talking about the PGA Championship, which is going on as we mumble right now. And I'm just going to do the leaderboard check. And so Justin Thomas, the defending champ, three under through six, obviously early stages of round one. And you'll be able to listen to all this stuff on TSN 1050 if you want to watch it. It's on the TV side of TSN as well, all four rounds on the TV side. Stuart Sink is also tied at three under, and he's through five. And Tiger, where is Tiger? Where is Tiger? Well, he's not even. Where is he? He was at two over before. And, uh, yeah, he's at two over through six. Just reading the Tiger Woods book. Phenomenal. Um, and, you know, sometimes this is where you have to have better than, uh, you have to have long-term memories, what I'm trying to say. So, obviously, over the last five years, we all understand his struggles. I was reading his book and, and realized that under Butch Harmon, he was winning at 27%. Under Hank Haney, he was winning at 33%. He hasn't won anything in five years, and his winning percentage is still extraordinary. 
And we still have that thought. You know, Johnny Manziel, Tiger Woods, you're still waiting for your watch. It's um, something that draws you in because you never know. There's greatness there, and you're just waiting for it to happen. Uh, by the way, when we talk with uh, Matthew Shinetti, he's spending the week in Montreal, so we'll be able to uh, get his take on, on what could happen to Johnny Manziel this week with the three CFL games. Obviously, the the Argos have the week off, so plenty of stuff to uh, to cover that way. I was wondering, and I'm going to put up a poll question on my Twitter account at Jim Taddy, uh, and it's going to say, "You are excited for the Jays' rebuild, are you?" I don't know. You know, obviously, last night with uh, Vladdy Jr. going three for four, a blast of a home run and hitting what 475 or thereabouts. You'd want to see him up here. I guess he's hitting 462. Uh, you'd want to see him. Obviously, there's a curiosity. You know, there's greatness just around the corner, and it's great to have somebody like that. But what about the rest of the team? Are you willing to go through what it's going to take to turn this thing around? It's almost like a Blue Jays history lesson when you go back. Uh, certainly, if you're of a certain vintage, you can remember the original build and how we used to always be concerned about or at least interested in that new kid from the farm system and what he was going to turn out to be. And if you were around in the 80s, you know that that took years and years, and and eventually it did happen. But when it did happen, they also had to add in a lot of people from other teams to get to the final stages. So I I guess the question would be, aside from the obligatory, you are excited for the Jays' rebuild, question mark, when you look at the Jays, I'm going to ask the, the sort of the supplemental question, what do you really want this franchise to be? Did you want them to continue on the way they were with the playoff run a couple of years ago, roll the dice, get in the World Series, win or lose it, and then disintegrate? Do a KC Royals, do a Baltimore Orioles. Is that what you wanted? Or do you want consistent contribution, consistent entertainment from the team? Uh, and, and the Raptors, you know, you may want to ask that about the Raptors in a year or two. Because what do you want? Do 59 wins? Does that work for you? And and, and the no playoffs or the, the, the bad playoff exit? I, I, you know, when you go through all this stuff, the Leafs are the only team that seem to be tracking the way everybody wants. Joe Narsa is our producer today, former student, by the way, at Centennial College. Joe, welcome in. Yes, guy. Oh, nice. That's original. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from... Excuse me, I, uh, too much coffee. What do you want from your team? What, what, do, you, what do you demand? If you, I guess it's, you look at it two ways. You're watching or you're paying to go see the team. Obviously, if you're paying to go see the team, you want to be entertained on a nightly basis. But as, as a fan base, what do you expect from your team? I usually expect honesty. And in that sense, I'm okay with whichever direction the team is going with as long as they can honestly prove to me and show to me that they're executing their plan. So for example, for the Maple Leafs, we've seen countless years where they were just like meddling through mediocrity, couldn't make the playoffs, couldn't get a good first first round pick, and they just ended up in nowhere land in limbo. And until they came out and told Leafs Nation, we're going to be bad for a few years and we're going to try and rebuild this, there was a large sense of frustration. So once the team comes out and tells me that we're going to contend, do everything we can to win. If we don't win, that's okay because we're going to start We're gonna start over. So I just want honesty from the organization. And to your point about the Blue Jays, I feel like they're back into the middling you know, Blue Jays of the ni- late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, which would mirror the Blue Jays before they won anything on the way up. Um, I, I would look at it this way. Um, you know, in, in terms of uh, the hockey story, I think that's a little different than the other two teams that we're talking about because the hockey connection with the city is historic, then people understand 
a hockey rebuild. I think when you get to the Raptors or the Jays, correct me if I'm wrong, I think people just want to see the win. I think so, too. But for the Blue Jays, and a good example with them is they're in the AL East, which is the powerhouse. That's where all the money gets spent, and you got to spend a lot of money to win, ultimately. And it's hard for a Blue Jays organization to do that because the Red Sox and the Yankees creep into the high two, like in the mid-200s, low-200s. But in that case, then why don't you tell your fan base, we're going to rebuild now for a couple years and bring down the salary from $135 million? Because I almost feel as if they use their salary cap and they use the numbers that they pay out to players as a stopgap to be in a comfort zone for them. And that's what Anthopoulos did the year he went out and acquired Tulowitzki because he had banked a little bit of extra money for himself. Yeah, okay, So, I, and I get all that, but, but I'm just wondering if that really works in this city. I mean, there's a lot of people here that work very hard. There's some money in the city, to say the very least. But I think because of the competition for... The entertainment dollar, people actually want to be entertained. Uh, you know, do you really want to go through the economics of your favorite team when you've just sort of done your own banking? Doesn't that kind of get silly? I think, yeah, I think so. And I think that's why, as of late, Blue Jays fans and Raptors fans have been kind of all in. They've, they've been excited about having a team that can win. And if they can't win, that's okay. And everybody had said they would take the one or two years that the Blue Jays got for the opportunity to win. And if you suck for a couple years after that, that's kind of the pill that you have to swallow. But I guess it's buyer's remorse sometimes when a lot of the players that you acquire don't help. But I feel as if in the Blue Jays, somehow they've created an experience where fans kind of don't mind going. I know it's not the amount that they would like. So I think they have the opportunity to. The Raptors, on the other hand, I feel Raptors fans are frustrated more so than I've ever seen them. Well, that's because the exit each year is eerily similar. Yeah, and then the exit of a star that they fell in love with for a player who's probably going to be the best player the Raptors organization has ever seen if healthy, and still the fans don't seem very happy. Well, they won't be until there's a, a real good playoff run that ends. You know, the, the problem with the Raptors is they could get into the, the NBA final and still exit the same way, so... It's, it's a real difficult thing there because there's a lot of success that gets, I guess, uh, covered over or exhausted by the eventual elimination. Well, and to uh, your, Getting there should be all the fun, but it's not. And to your point, I mean, both teams, the Blue Jays and the Raptors are a good comparison because looking at both, yeah, the Raptors are a way better team, but realistically, do they have much of a better chance of doing something special than the not-good Blue Jays? I would say no because the NBA is so stacked up top. Well, I mean, you know, sudden, you know, all of a sudden, Golden State becomes what Cleveland was. It's just around later, right? Right, and yeah, then, so, and you got a healthy Boston Celtics team with two superstars, and you got to go through them. And well, that's the other thing that that would concern me for Raptors fans is that when the Raptors started to get good, um, Boston was nowhere to be seen, and Philadelphia was nowhere to be seen, and now both Boston, you could say, has slipped by, depending on what Leonard does. And, and maybe Philadelphia has too, which would be really kind of salt in the wound. This is, a, you know, th- this next year for the Raptors is huge. They have to somehow find a way. And I think that's why Masai Ujiri made probably the, you know, one of the biggest trades in Raptors history. And th- in this case, it's as a positive because they're getting the best player in that trade. Because at some point, you have to go all in. And this is the Raptors all in. And we were speaking about when this trade happened. On air, and we had said whether the Raptors got Kawhi Leonard or not, if they didn't win this year, they were going to blow up the team. And at least this, in this case, they have one year to try something different with a super elite talent that Toronto has never seen. 
Yeah, so, but you say all in. I mean, are you looking at Kawhi Leonard as, as the end of what they have to do, or does it just open another door and make you realize that maybe there have to be two or three other more moves to get there? I would say that Kawhi Leonard is the biggest piece. It's like the jewel in the crown, and that's what you sure. needed. I do think they need a little bit more to shore up their roster. They need a little bit more depth. They need a little bit more shooting. But when acquiring Kawhi Leonard, that's the piece that can go toe-to-toe with a LeBron James. That's the piece that can go toe-to-toe with a Steph Curry. I don't think he's as good as them, but he's not too far off. And that's something that the Raptors haven't had. So as long as they had that one guy... They have an opportunity to do something they haven't done before, but up until now, that status quo wasn't really going to cut it. But I think Kawhi Leonard's going to be the tipping point for the Raptors. Well, it, it certainly makes you buy into the to the same story, doesn't it? Because it's it's a bit of a change, and the Jays are in a different uh, boat. No, no doubt about that. Vladdy Guerrero is absolutely ripping it up in Triple A ball, and we'll get into that. Also, we have our uh, baseball guest, uh, who is uh, Gregor Chisholm from MLB.com. So we'll explore the options with uh, Vladdy Jr. coming up shortly in the broadcast. Up next, Matthew Shadetti. You're listening to Toronto Today, TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca, the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Toronto Today with Jim Taddy until 1 o'clock. Then it's the Scott MacArthur Show with Andy McNamara. I'll be back tomorrow. So it's Taddy Today with Toronto Today and Taddy Tomorrow with Toronto Today. Does that make any sense? At this time in the morning, it's difficult for me to plow through this stuff and make some sense. We have Sound Wars coming up later on. But right now, let's bring in Matthew Shinetti from the CFL and TSN. Matthew, how are you today? Uh, every day ends in Y, and I'm talking to you, Jim. It's a good day when I'm talking to you. Mr. Wow. Daddy. Wow. How do you think I feel? Wow. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. Uh, if, if the Alouettes, and I don't know if you've asked them this question, if they could go back and relive the 50-11 to 11 wipeout by the Tiger Cats in con- with respect to what they did with Johnny Manziel, have they talked about what they would have done differently? Uh, you know, it's funny. I asked uh, offensive coordinator Kahari Jones that exact question yesterday, and phrased it in terms of the word regret and he said he doesn't think about it in those terms and he's trying to look at things in terms of growth and in terms of ability and in terms of showing some kind of uh, upward trajectory and I know that sounds kind of weird when basically Johnny Menzel's first pass in um, in the Canadian game on a professional level and in a regular season game was an interception to Larry Dean. However, the one thing that Jones kept saying and trying to put a positive spin on it was, sure, you can look at the first one as a bad read, and the second one, the tip-off Terrell Sutton's hands running back wasn't necessarily his fault. But the third and fourth um, interceptions were just Benzel trying to make a play, and there was some positive movement, some positive work in the pocket that Jones, that Jones liked. What it all comes down to now is how has Menzel tried to progress over the last couple of days? And really what I've been seeing in practice is um, an attention to the details, an attention at least on the field. Now, I I can't see what he's doing in the film room, and I don't know what time he's getting into the Olympic Stadium, but he is talking to all of his teammates. And um, I guess if if there's anything you want to see, especially after a guy threw four interceptions, is you want to see him talking to his teammates constantly. And I've been seeing that over the last couple of days. Whether that translates into anything at TD Place this weekend, listen, I've been doing daily updates for TSN.ca. Ultimately, whatever you see in practice is irrelevant because I can can take all the passes, I can take all the incompletions, I can take all the interceptions and touchdowns in practice, but it doesn't mean anything because when the lights are on and the ball's kicked off, that's when it really matters. And 
we'll see how much Johnny's learned uh, in the next 72 hours. Yeah, I mean, well said, because, I mean, he has to learn the playbook. He has to learn his personnel, and, and that's stage one. Stage two is learning how to read a defense, which takes a, a number of games, if not a number of years. I think you're going to find, and you would know this, there are quarterbacks in the league that are still learning that, right? Yeah, you know, you and I uh, talked about this earlier in the week. Um, talking to Terrell Sutton, and the one thing that people don't appreciate, and this isn't just the CFL, this is playing the quarterback position in general. It's like playing chess on the highway. I mean, you've got, you've got <laughs> so much happening, uh, and you've got to deal with so much so fast, so quickly. And when you're going through, like a read, so that everyone understands, when you're going through your reading, your progression, your read is your first step, you're looking at the field, and you're taking, you're assessing what's going on with the defensive backs, where your receiver is in, is in his route. And then when you move through your second ones, basically you're shifting your feet and you're moving your eyes and trying to assess what's going on. And a lot of, you know, as I was talking to Terrell Sutton about this, a lot of that is kind of understanding where the defensive backs are. Are they playing high? Are they playing low? Where the linebackers are situated? Are they stacking the box? Are they moving out in coverage? Is it man? Is it zone? And that could be, it could be different defenses in different parts of the field. And as you're assessing that, and this all has to happen within, you know, three to five seconds, when you're assessing all that, you have to base a lot of that knowledge on your preparation and the details. And right now, yes, football is football. And, you know, the, the, the routes and the receivers and looking at the field is all the same. The difference with the Canadian game that's, that Sutton was telling me may be affecting Menzel right now is that extra man because – you don't necessarily know your math when you're when you're looking where the defensive backs are and you're trying to assess where your receiver is going to be in his route with respect to where the defense is situated. You don't necessarily know what that extra man in the Canadian game, where that extra man's going to going to be when you're going through those reads. So I'm not trying to make excuses for Johnny Manziel because you know he's in an un, he's in an unfavorable position. Whatever you think about him. You know, he basically was thrown into a, a starting position on a new team, and as his own agent said on his on Menzel's podcast, he wasn't necessarily sure now was the time. Menzel gets another week, but the added wrinkle now is he goes on the road. Man, Johnny Menzel played in Tuscaloosa. He beat the Alabama Crimson Tide. He's played in stadiums of upwards of 85,000, 90,000 people screaming and yelling at him. But when you're playing the professional game and you know it moves faster and you know the physicality of what, you know, how guys are moving around and you're still trying to assess how to break down defenses within three to five seconds, and I know the way those fans are in Ottawa, we'll see how he adjusts. You know, the professional game is very different from college. Whatever, you know, that's, it's whatever you're playing, the NFL or CFL. When you're playing the program, these are the best of the best athletes. Now Johnny Manziel has to show us this week that he's growing. It's still a phenomenal story for for a couple of reasons. Uh, the most obvious one is it's like Tiger Woods. Tiger hasn't done anything, you know, stupendous on the golf turn golf tour in in years, and yet if he had three consecutive shots or gets a birdie or an eagle, everybody's back on the bandwagon just because of the greatness that we've witnessed before. This guy was a Heisman Trophy winner, and and if he scrambles or completes two consecutive passes, you're thinking greatness is right around the corner. It, it's a fascinating view. Yeah, and listen. I'm, yeah. It's a great it's a great comparison to make with Tiger because everybody was watching that final day a few weeks ago of the British British Open. And I will tie a, a deeper comparison. Even though we are so fascinated with the talent and seeing glimmers of it, humanity in the way we are, we also don't mind when stuff starts to combust. And seeing Tiger in the bunker 
and seeing him miss a shot or or, or, or on the green and, and 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 trying to trying to pitch it into the, you know right close to the pin and hearing him get upset at himself and hearing him kind of be exasperated, there is drama in that too. And seeing Johnny Manziel, you know, it's almost as fascinating to watch him throw four interceptions and 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 throw interception on his first pass because it makes people realize, especially us who who, who covered the CFL. This is a hard league. This isn't like, you know, and I understand, and you can't help but realize that Johnny Manziel is still very young. Like he, he, and I imagine this hit in his mind with no disrespect to the league itself, that he probably came out and thought, if I play my game, I've got the width of the field, I've got my receivers will come back, I can, I can as he said, ball out. Well, he couldn't do that. So now you go back to, as Tiger has been doing himself, and maybe you know the increased schedules help that. It's getting back to the basics. It's getting back to your stroke. It's getting back to you know, your follow-through, your hips. Well, for Menzel, it's where is he locating his throws? How is he stepping back into the pocket? How is he setting up in the pocket? How is he going through his reads? Because at the end of the day, you might have the talent, but if you don't have the base, if you don't have the base, then honestly, you're, you are doing yourself a disservice to the entertainment of everybody else. Well, and the other story angle that that won't go away because it's it's going to be hard science. It'll be like uh, totally accurate figures. You'll be able to track how many tickets he sells for the Alouettes. You'll be able to track how many jerseys he sells. And and we already know that ESPN two would carry carried the Ticats game against uh, Montreal at four hundred thousand viewers in the states. Now that's not a big number stateside, but it's it's higher than any CFL game ever had in the States. And, and so there are hard numbers there that generate into other revenue, which you wouldn't be able to say about anybody else. So that that's sort of a sports business angle, intrigue angle, or sorry, storyline. Yeah, you know, Jim, it's... Everything has had... You know, there's a confluence of events right now. The, the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, the CFL comes up this year. And in a lot of ways, there are a lot of players who will be hoping and praying that they get their shot at Johnny Manziel. I'm sure guys like Antoine Pruneau, Corey Tindall, um, uh, George Uko, guys on the Red Blacks uh, def- defense will can't wait to go up against Johnny Manziel because they know they're going to get that extra little bit of spotlight. But the fact is this. You made an excellent point in saying all of the sports business factors that are going to lend themselves to not just helping Manziel but the overall um, – coverage and exposure and financial viability of the CFL. The CFL is doing well. I mean, we, we, we the numbers, the, the, the ratings are, are, are good. And, you know, we, we, we see markets where, you know, apart from, yes, Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver, which are still uh, certainly works in progress. But if the league was in dire straits, we wouldn't be talking about expanding to Halifax. But in a year where the CBA is coming up, it benefits every player that Johnny Manziel increases the ticket sales, increases the exposure, increases attention. Because where he goes now, everyone's going to watch him. Obviously in Ottawa, they always sell out, but there's going to be an increased attention on Ottawa. And then when he goes to Toronto, imagine when he goes to Toronto, there's going to be increased attention there. He is going to take, whether you call it the tour or the circus or the carnival, whatever, he's going to take it with him. And at the end of the year, when the CFLPA is looking at you know, what they are going to go ahead and put on the table for the owners, they're going to be benefited by all of us talking about Johnny Manziel, but all the eyes on Johnny Manziel. Because even though it might be one player who right now hasn't necessarily shown a sustained amount of, of talent and whatever, everything we expected and what he expected to show in the CFL, at the end of the day, we're talking about the CFL. And that's a good thing for the league. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, I find it to be an, an odd story. And, of course, working in Hamilton when the Cats signed him, I just I, I would look at that story and go, they're, they're out of sync. What has to happen for Johnny Manziel will not benefit the Tiger Cats because they have to go in another direction to, uh, I guess, atone for a non-playoff season a year ago. Uh, he had to play right away, and that wasn't going to happen there. Uh, so he's in Montreal. It's a bit of a mess, uh, and he has to play. And, and quite frankly, this was the only scenario that I could come up with that would that could possibly work. But it's got sort of a, a, a bitter or, a, I guess, a, a sour tone to it because if it does work, it could only last a year and a half. The one thing about the one thing about it, Jim, is I I think you and I discussed this a few a few weeks ago that when we talked about you know potentially when Johnny could play, and I thought there were three scenarios. One, you know, this is when Ricky Ray was was injured, and we right. we didn't necessarily know what what they had in terms of James Franklin, and obviously now the cloud Bethel Thompson. And then we take we took a look at the Winnipeg situation. And Chris Strebler, and we didn't know how long Matt Nichols was going to be injured. And we took a look now at Montreal. Of all those situations, Manziel was likely going to play immediately here in Montreal, just just given their quarterback depth and their own injury issues. I wonder, though, if he would have played, if, if, if Winnipeg would have made a move for him, if you know Nichols' injury was long-term, if that would have benefited him more because – Knowing the coaching staff, and 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 that's that's the experience of someone like you know former CFL and TSN analyst Paul Lapolis, who you know loves um, to spend time with his quarterbacks. I wonder if he would have benefited more the time there, just a, maybe a few more weeks of seasoning there in Toronto. Obviously, Mark Tressman basically has has revolutionized how many offenses play in the CFL, but I don't necessarily think that Tristan was going to want the carnival and the attention that Menzel was going to bring. But when he came to Montreal, it was always going to be the situation where he was going to be thrown into the fire right away. And here's the big deal for Johnny Menzel. If he wants to get back to the NFL, this was the best pathway. Why? Because he was going to get the most exposure here, because he was going to be thrown in right away. Even though he had such a terrible debut, the fact has to be stated. At the end of the day, Doug Flutie came to the CFL in the early 90s, and he struggled in his first season. His numbers were not great. But he progressed because he learned the game, he appreciated the game for what it was, and he knew that he could develop his talents to suit the dimensions of the Canadian game. If Johnny Manziel does that, and if he is as interested as everyone says he is, and everyone keeps telling us in the media that he is, and we keep seeing him talking to his teammates, as June Jones said, it, you you heard you know the Ticats uh, head coach. You heard him say, it, Jim. Yep. Johnny Mendel could be one of the greatest players in CFL history. He might be the greatest player in CFL history because of what his talent is. But this is this is down to a young man now, understanding. He said it himself. It was a humbling experience. Okay, so what do you do now, knowing something is a humbling experience? What do you do when you're going up against really a, a an ideal CFL defense? Because North Fork, the defensive coordinator in Ottawa, runs a CFL defense. What are you going to do? We, we, we absolutely should be tracking and scrutinizing everything he does over the next couple of weeks because if you're going to get this much attention on you, you have to develop and you have to understand that you're going to get criticism from every side. Matthew, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Take care, Jim.
Matthew Shinetti from the CFL on TSN. So, I mean, there's the obvious comparison, Doug Flutie and Johnny Manziel. Uh, what's not comparable is the pre-social media and, and where we are now. So the Flutie story uh, was uh, much slower in developing for a lot of reasons, and, and that's just the way things were. Uh, if this story takes off, and it has potential to, we don't know if that's going to happen or not, but certainly it's a game-by-game situation. If it does take off, it'll take off a lot faster just because of the world we live in and social media, and you'll be able to track, you'll have scientific numbers for everything he does i can remember when the blue jays brought in rocket roger clemens and everybody thought that this would be a uh, attendance boom and they did these stats on it and i think there were 30 more people during the rocket years per season 30 more people attended blue jay games so that was the old spend to make routine which didn't didn't work out at all and, and certainly with athletes you can always do that we're going to spend 10 million bucks to bring this guy in the door because we're going to make 11 million. Well, at the end of the year, you know that you, you either made more than 11 million or less. It, it's hard. They're hard numbers there. The problem with that is you've signed the guy to a long-term contract and you have to sort of figure where the exit door is on that. But this Manziel story has a lot of tentacles to it in terms of sports business. It'll be interesting to track that way. And of course, it's a must watch just because it's Johnny Manziel. So we did the comparable to Tiger Woods. And uh, let me find where he is on the leaderboard. He's at three over through eight holes at the PGA Championship. Coming up next, going to hear Ross Atkins, I guess, uh, swerve on a Brian Hayes question in overdrive yesterday. And then we'll have Sound Wars. You're listening to Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, and the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Toronto Today with Jim Taddy here until 1. Andy McNamara subbing for Scott MacArthur. Andy Mack just came into the studio. It's sad. He has this Cleveland Browns golf shirt on. I think that's the only shirt he has in his collection. Every time I see him, he's got the Browns golf shirt on. I mean, why? Well, because it's August, and this is the Browns version of the Super Bowl. It's called training camp. All right, let's do some uh, audio stuff here. Ross Atkins, general manager of the Blue Jays, as he guested on Overdrive with Brian Hayes and Dave Festuck yesterday. If you watched the Jays last night, oh, sorry. But when you watch the Red Sox, you look at that team and go, yeah, nobody's getting in their way. Uh, the question is, what happens to Gibby? Is he going to survive? And, well, still waiting for an answer. Here is Ross Atkins on that particular subject. Let's begin with the Gibbon stuff, because that seems to be what everyone's talking about in the city. There's rumors, reports, I'm not sure how to label it. Um, how would you define the status of John Gibbons for the rest of the season? Oh, he's, uh, you know, Gibby and I every day uh, enjoy talking about just how we can get better and, um, you know, really have established a great, great deal of respect for him and have a great relationship and everything. All of our discussions are about our daily improvement, how to put the best foot forward for each game and, you know, as you know, we also now talk a lot more about our future, and he is very much a part of those discussions as we think about how we can improve the organization. So he's 100% the manager the rest of the season? <laughs> yeah, again, like I, listen, I, I, I don't know uh, the, the best way to categorize these discussions. It, it really is. It's, uh, the best thing I can tell you is he is uh, he's a pleasure to work with, and uh, <laughs> he is absolutely... Uh, a part of all of our discussions that involve the future. Well, but Ross, you can understand why we're trying to get a clarification here because there's reports that he could be out by the end of the week, and it doesn't sound like you're definitively saying that that he will be here even next week, let alone by the end of the season. So, is that is that all you can tell us? Is that you're just having conversations, but no commitment long term? 
yeah, our, our commitments to improvement and getting better every day, that goes for every employee here. So I, I absolutely respect and understand your interest and, and your inquiry, but I, uh, our, our focus is on how we get better each day. So have you been satisfied with him as a manager this year? Yes. I, you know, listen, uh, it, this is a team. This is a collective. We're not satisfied with our results, but we are absolutely satisfied with, with John Givens' process and his values. So, you know, a couple of observations. I mean, he did give you some sort of an answer. It wasn't the answer you were looking for. He could have said uh, no comment, uh, but he, he skated around in a circle. Uh, it reminded me, I, I took this course. It was a, a legal course, and, and the, the teacher was a lawyer. And if you strayed like that, he would simply turn and yell at you, answer the question. I'm not going to speak loud into a microphone because you all have volumes, but he would literally vibrate the room with his answer the question he cut you off in mid-word and i've always wanted to do that on the air it's someday that'll happen might be the last show i ever do but i'm going to do that to somebody answer the question Eh, whatever Uh, so that goes around in a circle and i think when it happens we'll all understand why well look at that it's 11 46 the greatest moments in history are now up to you this is TSN 1050's Sound Wars. Okay, so bear with me with this. It's a bracket, and we're now down to the final four. And uh, we have two on the, uh, the I guess, the, the, the lower part of the bracket that we're going to do right now. Uh, so representing the Kessel Conference, it's seed number one, and it's called Having the Time of His Life. It's a pleasure to be with you guys here on the field from up close, just watching Coach Vance Joseph from here. You watch him now on the screen. This diversity in his background is helping him a lot tonight. Quarterback at Colorado, defensive back in the NFL, and here he is having the time of his life. Okay, so that was good. Joe, jump in and help me out with this. What's up? Um, that was good, but not really stupendous. How did it get this far? The, the, the epicness of which was Sergio Dip Live is what is carrying this, this clip. Because, okay, the clip is not great, but the visuals of remembering the poor guy sweating, trying to find out what he was going to say, and the struggle to get that terrible sentence out, I think is what's carrying. It's all cloud. It's it's background information that makes it so good. Uh, just a minute. I have to phone up that lawyer who taught that course because I see the, we have a, a yes guy, no guy conference. I was going to say, yeah. Wow, what is that? It's actually in your honor. Oh, oh that's, and, that, and that's that's what we get around here. Anytime yeah. somebody rips my stuff off, it's, well, we're doing it to honor it's you. It's to honor you because we wanted <laughs> to get a uh, section for great commentating, great announcing moments, and we're like, you know, our you know great announcer, great commentator. So we named it the Yes Guy No Guy Conference. So does that does that little uh, proviso or waiver get said every time at Yes Guy No Guy Conference? Absolutely is not. But I'm oh, pretty nice. sure there is no residual income coming your way for this. But if oh, there I, is at all, we'll is, let you that, know. That is etched in stone. <laughs> I, I know that one. Wow. So, uh, representing the Yes Guy, No Guy conference, he said painfully, it's seed number one, and this is Mac Jamison. Friday pre-tapes, you're into this kind of stuff. so excited. I wish I was in my car, like, driving around. All right, so this is a Vegas legend. I caught up with him earlier this afternoon. Mac Jamison. Mac, what's happening? Is this Brian? This is Brian. Did that just cut out? 
This is a joke, isn't it? I've been, I'm calling you out. I don't know who you're talking you, about. Uh, you were my boy. We were peas and carrots two minutes ago, and you just wall squat great white sharded right in my hip. Mac Jameson? I want to hear the beginning again, because I guarantee if I hear the guy's voice, I'll tell you who it is. All right. Is this Brian? This is Brian. I quit the show. Wow, no flies on O-Dog. That's unbelievable. But it taken 35 seconds to figure out he's getting scammed? That is, I mean, and it's in the Yes Guy, No Guy conference, so you know where my vote's going. That was stupendous. I miss O-Dog. Well, I was going to say, you had a lot of work with him when you guys did game night. Like, Would he go like Baby Monkey and just fall asleep on you when you guys would play like a post-game oh, press that, conference? That's why we have the pen in the hand, so you throw it. <laughs> because you get him in the chest with the pen. And, of course, he shakes it off and, and then responds. Oh, O-Dog was great for just leaving the studio. If he did he, that if, in that clip as well. Yeah, if he doesn't want, if he's not into what you're doing, he just gets up and, and walks away. That's it. Did that on Leaf games, too. And, and, and I didn't blame him then because the Leafs were stupendously bad. It was like the same post-game show after. We could have recorded one and just replayed it. So, here's what you have to do. Uh, go to tsn1050.ca, click on Sound Wars, vote for your favorite, having the time of his life, or... Matt Jamison voting for this sound war closes tomorrow at 8 a.m. Listen to Landsberg in the morning for the winner and for the start of the Sound Wars 2018 championship battle on TSN 1050. Wow, that's a nifty little segment. I like that. I have a question for you. Uh, yes. Oh, by the way, I'll give you my lawyer's name in a couple of minutes. No problem. Yeah. So you've been an on-air producer. You've done it all. The Sergio well, I've, Di- done, I've done what, I, what I've been allowed to do, yes. So the Sergio Dip situation, you remember it, right? They, they throw to him. Um, he was a sideline reporter for ESPN Deportes, and they had the game in Mexico, so they included him in the broadcast. I do not remember that. Okay, so they threw to him, and then sadly, like he had all this information, and I think the moment kind of caught him, and he froze. So oh, the- I, I, don't, I don't watch if you're the people producer, or work with people that freeze. But if you're the producer, do you go back to him? Again, because they never went back to him, and I think that's what made this so like <laughs> oh, he's out. monumental. If, he's done. If this eh? is a live broadcast, and you mess completely up completely live on are, Monday Night Football. You are gone. Yeah. See ya. Poor guy. Checks he's in like the mail, of, and he's there'll like only friend be of one the station of them. now. Pardon me. He's friend of the station now. He was on with the guys. Well, he has to be. He's got to find work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the one thing about live when you're doing one of those network shows. Uh, if I could explain to you uh, how hard a projection that is if you have 30 seconds to fill it's not a word search campaign you have to know exactly what you're saying and you have to get out right at 30 seconds because inevitably there's another piece behind you whether it's a commercial which you'll get steamrolled by or another element in the broadcast and if you are not out at 30 seconds when the bid is 30 seconds you don't have a job that's yeah, you a taught real, a class on that. that that's, a, that's a real hard projection. Yeah, that, that's not for everybody. You have to be disciplined. And again, you can't do the word search. If you're lost, if you're looking at the flashlight, you get the, the, the deer in the headlights routine, you are done. You have, it's got to be there, just like that. Is there one audio clip for you that, like, if somebody were to say, what is the funniest or, like, the craziest thing you've ever heard or seen? Oh. Is there one thing that would come to you? Like, okay, so, for example, for today... With Wayne Gretzky, I always crack jokes with my buddies, and I always say, I promised Mess I wouldn't do this. 
Oh, right. Because to me, it's just too funny. Like, he's crying. It just, I don't know why. It just gets me. That's funny for you? It's something about it's funny. I know, I know. (laughs) Why would you laugh at that? Because it's just like, he knew he was going to cry, and he's just like, I promised Mess I wouldn't do this. Like, it just kills me. I'm sorry. You know, you you have to really go, as I said at the start of the show, remember the guy just got married three weeks before. It was a a royal wedding. I mean, I couldn't think of a better contrast than, you know, the happy moment of, of, of his life and it's all over coast to coast television it was handled just like a royal wedding and three weeks later he's got to leave town i mean that's just that was so absurd that you couldn't believe it was happening when it was happening and he when he says that it was like the right move for wayne gretzky and his family in hockey well you know it's not one of those situations where you could go back you're right. told something uh, it's very uh, heartbreaking, and you just have to. I mean, it's it's a lesson for everybody. I mean, everybody in their life gets gets has those days where you're told something that that you don't want to accept, but you have to because you have to go on to the next day. There's a lot you can learn out of sports. You know, when you're talking to to players in a losing dressing room, and we always have this periphery analysis of you know we look at things. Uh, you could be listening to the broadcast and 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 be looking for things that aren't relevant to me. And and for an athlete, you would you talk about stats that aren't relevant to the athlete all this stuff is in the moment and you have to be able to find solutions and sometimes your solutions blow up in your face and guess what there's another show tomorrow there's another game tomorrow and you don't you can't carry what didn't work with you you carry the solution so if you apply that to your whatever struggle you go through in life and you just deal with the solution then the problem doesn't exist right Uh, but these are hard lessons because you can be publicly embarrassed Uh, you could be really down about you had a bad football game a bad baseball game you you turn over the puck in a winning goal what do you do do you run away and hide no you face it you play better the next game it's always about what's next right it's always about getting over your mistake and, and just answering it back and that's an internal battle that you go through as well are we done Yes, we are. Oh, it's 11.55 almost. Okay, top of the next hour, we will play Yes Guy, No Guy. Summertime, Yes Guy, No Guy. I'm looking forward to that. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, and the TSN and iHeartRadio apps.